I had a new little intro video for our, for our series that we're starting, but you know what? The Holy Spirit trumped all of that, and we're just going to move ahead with that. Y'all get to see it next week, okay? Uh, we'll do that. Um, we, as I mentioned, we are beginning a... Listen, I hadn't decided how many weeks this is going to be. Um, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit roll with this and let Him guide my steps. Uh, but we, we are beginning a multi-week series, let's put it that way, through the book of James. Um, again, as, I, as, as many of you know, this is, this is one, of, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, James is well known for his emphasis on both faith and works. And so we, we've titled the series that, the book of James, Faith and Works, and how both of those go together. Um, the book of James believed to be one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. James, being the half-brother of Jesus, was a pastor and leader and elder in the church in Jerusalem. It was also significant to our series is intense persecution and adversity that faced the church at this time. James is not writing as a disconnected observer, active participant in what's going on in, in these lessons of faith and perseverance that he encourages through this letter to the church. Uh, he was referred to as James the, de- the Just. Uh, he was a good pastor with an important message for and I think, importantly, this message continues to be relevant as the years go by. Everything that James taught is today still so incredibly relevant. Because the persecution of the church continues. And the experience of personal adversity is felt by every last being on the face of the earth. And so my plan had been each week to look at two big ideas from the book of James that kind of went together. Um, today we're going to dive into James chapter 1 and we are going to look at, uh, we are going to look at um, testing and perseverance. Now it may come in the next couple of weeks that I break all of those up and just again as the Holy Spirit leads we may do this in a completely different way as we continue to go on. I had planned for five weeks, we may do eight, I have no idea. Um, I'll let the Holy Spirit work all of that out. But I want to share with you a few brief quotes this morning as we get started to talk about testing and perseverance. Y'all remember the movie Chariots of Fire? It was a huge movie when I was a kid. I was, I was probably about uh, 12, 13, 14 years old when that movie came out. Um, it tells a story, a young man named Harold Abrams, who was a champion sprinter. He had just suffered his first ever defeat uh, at this point in the movie. And as he sat alone, he was sort of pouting on the bleachers. His girlfriend came up to encourage him, and he said these words to her. He said to her, if I can't win, I won't run. If I can't win, I won't run. And she wisely turned and replied to him, if you don't run, you can never win. Abrams went on to, to, uh, to win the 1924 Olympic gold medal in the 100-meter run because he didn't give up. Y'all know Babe Ruth, one-time uh, um, home run champion, uh, hit 714 home runs in his major league career. Astonishing that it's, it's only been surpassed by three people in all of baseball history since then, and they had a lot of help, I think. Um, but we'll 
keep that to ourselves. Um, but the fact that some of you got that, some of you are going to have to look it up when you get home, and that's okay. Um, I appreciate the effort of you looking it up. Um, but for all the home runs that Babe Ruth hit, do you know that he struck out over 1,300 times in his career? He struck out almost twice as many times as he did hit a home run plate. And do you know that even by perseverance, a snail made it onto the ark? Come on, they don't get much better than that. That's, that's, that's all I've got, okay? But listen, we're talking about testing and perseverance today. And I want you, church family, to see this morning that our faith, through the trials and the adversity and the suffering that we go through, it produces in us a steadfast spirit and a perseverance. And that perseverance is an invaluable characteristic of those who follow Christ. So as we explore James chapter 1 this morning, I want you to keep those things in mind. But we are going to look at James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up. James chapter 1. We're going to look at first uh, 12 verses specifically this morning. And so if you have your place in your Bible, if you would, stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. If you are unable to do so, there's no condemnation whatsoever. But let's read these words together. James, starting in chapter one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let the endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, Lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. Verse 11, for the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, and its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. But in the same way, a rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, please give us the strength to endure, to persist, and to thrive throughout the various trials and sufferings that we go through in life. And Lord, we thank you that at the end of it all, we'll receive the greatest promise of hope and eternity with you. And Lord, I ask you to hide me behind your cross today and allow me to speak as a dying man to dying people about the unspeakable treasures and riches of heaven. Lord, use these words that you've given us today to speak to our hearts and show us your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So James begins this 
in kind of an interesting way. He's like, hey y'all, it's James. How you doing? It's great to see you. You're about to go through some junk. Not a great way to, to start a, a, a letter, correct? M many of you wouldn't write it that way. But he says this incredibly shocking statement at the beginning. I want you to count it as joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet these trials. It's kind of hard to hear this and imagine that there can be joy in the midst of trials. I can think of, I can think of a lot of things uh, that, that I experience when I'm going through trials. Joy is not at the top of that list. I can think of pain and suffering and destruction and adversity. All of those things. And yet James calls the early church to joy in the midst of persecution. It's also worth noting here that James doesn't say if you go through trials. He says what? When you go through trials. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 reiterates this. It says, in fact, all who live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Now some of y'all want to fold up the book, walk out the door and go to the restaurant right now. But listen, there is joy to be had when we go through these trials. And just because you and I aren't going through the persecutions like the early church did or some of our brothers and sisters around the world currently do, I'm reading about uh, a group of Christians in uh, a, a tiny little town, that, uh, Mirapol, I think it is, in India. They're, they're literally been, being driven out of their village. They've been dispersed from their homes. They're living in the woods. And yet still holding church services and praising Jesus. In the middle of the woods. You might think that we here in America have sort of lucked out and been spared all the trouble. That's not true. In fact, what James goes on to articulate in our passage is that we should count our, joy, our, count our trials as joy, not because we, we enjoy pain, right? But because we trust that the testing that those, that, that those trials that we go through and how they test our faith begins to produce something in us that is of immeasurable value. Something so valuable that every believer needs to experience it in one form or another. James says that we're going to meet trials of various kinds. And this is in a, a very important point to remember. As the original meaning for various trials was literally, it was many colored. Many colored trials. So let's pause here for a minute, a minute and try to remember. Um, Y'all remember as you were a kid. Opening up that crayon box, that new crayon box. And you open up, especially when you got the big one. Now, now listen, I, I didn't get the Crayola ones, right? I got the big box of the, whatever the other brand was. Y'all remember the, uh, there were a few of them, Rose Art, and there were a few other. They just, did, they just didn't have the kick that the Crayola crayons did, right? They were a little waxy. They didn't really get down on the page good. But listen, it didn't matter. When you got that new box of crayons, especially the big 64 count, 
right? You crack that with the sharp. That's right, with the sharpener on the end of it. See, Suzanne remembers. That's right. Man, that was a feeling, right? And you look in there and you look at all of the possibilities. Man, what am I going to color next? You look at it and you find a color and you try to figure out what you were going to draw, what you were going to color next. You see, we try to remember that feeling that came over you when you looked at all of those colors available to you. On some level, this is the concept that is being shared by James. Because there is a huge number of opportunities. Well, he said trials, Pastor. He didn't say opportunities. But we're looking at it in the wrong way. When we look at it as opportunities to exercise our faith and to grow in our relationship with our Lord and Savior. All of our trials differ from person to person, from church to church, to culture to culture. But we talk about things like relational pain, mental health and well-being, physical disease, suffering, financial loss, external persecution. We could go on and on and on with the, kind, with the list that we could come up with in this, in this place today. In fact, there are probably people sitting in this room right now who are experiencing a deep testing of their faith at this moment. Those that are in the midst of asking questions like, is God real? Does He really love me? If He's so good, why does He allow evil? Why won't He intervene in my life? Why won't He heal my child? Why won't He heal my spouse or my friend? And these are questions that we all ask from time to time when it comes to our faith. But the big question isn't, will I experience trials? But rather, when will I experience these trials? And the good news is, is that although there are various trials, more numerous than the colors that we find in that new crayon box, there's also a God in heaven who is weaving every trial every color into a magnificent and meaningful tapestry. God is sovereign over our trials. Because you see, James tells us that trials are never out of God's control. Every trial that we go through is under God's control. And He accomplishes His purposes through those trials. Now I'm guessing I'm not the only one in this room, who kind of wishes that, the pa that this passage wasn't in the Bible, right? It's one of the most profound and crucial passages for mature, authentic Christian living. For true, authentic Christian living. Now, a blasphemous theology today will tell you that God never wants you to be sick. He never wants you to be poor. You should name and claim health and wealth at every opportunity that you get. But James is writing to a hurting and predominantly poor community of Christians, and he's telling them to consider this as great joy for the opportunity to go through those trials. We need to realize that trials are not joyful in and of themselves. 
There's nothing joyful about the experiences that we're going through in those situations. But they are joyful when we realize that we are under the authority of a sovereign God who is willing to accomplish His purposes for our life through those trials. And what kind of things is He accomplishing? We'll look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. James is basically saying if you want everything in your life, then allow God to work those trials in your life. Let Him change you. Let Him mold you. Let the faith and the testing produce the endurance. And let that endurance turn you into a mature and complete Christian. This is the ultimate purpose for the trials in the passages in the book of James as a whole. The goal in our lives is maturity through Jesus. Growth in His likeness. And one day every person is going to stand before Almighty God. And God's goal from now until that time is to prepare you for that day. We don't think like this. We think the goal of life is to be successful. To have a nice job. To get a raise. To get some sort of outstanding achievement in the world. To to attain a certain goal. To have a certain kind of family. Then when the trials hit in our family and our work and our life and the plans that we have, we're devastated. Because we've built everything on the end of those goals and not on who Jesus is. But if our goal is to know God and to be conformed to His likeness, then we can take joy in trials because we know no matter how tough these trials are, that they are going to produce something in us that is greater than who we are. And it's going to move us towards our goal. You see, a James chapter 1, verse 3 type of life or a kind of lifestyle, the kind that endures because of testing, requires a radically God-centered perspective on life. Think of a trial in your own life, whether it's big or small. If the goal is just to fix your circumstances, then you're setting yourself up for constant frustration. Because no matter what happens, no matter how those circumstances get worked out, whether they do or they don't, there's always going to be something else coming down the road. I've mentioned it many times. There are three types of people in this world. People who just went into a crisis, people who just came out of a crisis, and people who are about to go into a crisis. And when those crises happen, when they take place, if we do not allow God through faith, if we do not allow Him to build in us endurance, we don't keep our eyes fixed on God through those circumstances, we're just going to be frustrated. We're going to live in constant anxiety, or even worse yet, we're going to become, we're going to become angry at God because of all of the things that we're having to go through. But if your ultimate goal is not just to fix circumstances, but to know God and to grow in God 
then our job right now is to rejoice because no matter what our circumstances are, we're going to achieve our goal. God has designed trials for our growth in godliness. Trials are joy when God is our goal. The trick is to learning uh, the, the trick is learning to trust him through the process. And learning to trust God through the process of our trials is called perseverance. That's perseverance. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. We've already talked about it. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. We should understand the inevitability, the inevitability of persecution. We consider the life and the words of Paul. Look at Paul. In, uh, we, we, we studied up through in our Sunday school classes this morning. Acts chapter 14 up through verse 20. Verses 21 and 22. Spoiler for next week, right? Verses 20 and 21 says this, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthened by the disciples, uh, strengthened the, sorry, I'll get through it, (laughs) strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Success in Christ means trusting Jesus through the very trials of our life as He brings us to perfection and to completion. Success for the believer is wholeness in Christ. And wholeness is found on the other side of suffering. Suffering is simply something that we must endure. There's something unique about suffering and pain and adversity that produces a divine character in us. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. Adversity calls us to go higher, to be greater, and to trust God deeper than we ever have before. Suffering expands our faith. Pain drives us into the arms of our Father. And as we learn over and over again to trust our Heavenly Father through each and every situation, our capacity for hope increases. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Like me. If I keep shoving Big Macs down my throat, my capacity to hold the number of Big Macs is going to get big. Y'all are asleep already, I'm telling you. All right, listen to me. As we grow in the faith and as we learn to follow Christ, we have to also learn to keep our eyes on Him no matter what happens. No matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, no matter how dire it seems to get, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, Paul talks about this throughout his letters. There's one place in Philippians that I find especially poignant to this matter. Ready? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says this. (coughs) Pardon me. Now that I have already reached the goal... Or I'm already perfect. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. But I make 
every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We are to constantly pursue God. We are to constantly pursue after God. Everything else begins to fall away. Everything else in our lives begins to gain perspective. When we fix our eyes and chase after Jesus as hard as we can. I've told my kids this. I've told my youth group this. Now I'm telling my church family this. Listen to me. When it comes to relationships, this same thing applies. I've told my kids for years, you run as hard as you can towards Jesus. And if you look over and you see that other person keeping up with you as they're running towards Jesus, that's who God has for you. But if you're running towards Jesus and that other person that you're interested in or is interested in you, you turn around and they're lagging behind and they're looking around and they're like, oh, look at all the other pretty little things around here. And they're not keeping their eyes focused on God. Keep running. Leave them behind. Leave them behind. Everything in our life begins to have perspective when we keep our eyes focused on God. And not on everything else around us. That's when we can call it all joy. When we go through trials. Because even though the trial is not something joyful that we're going through, what God is trying to accomplish on the other side of it is and we'll only find it if we keep our eyes fixed on him there was an abolitionist in the 18th century his name was William Wilberforce he said this our motto must continue to be perseverance and ultimately I trust the almighty will crown our efforts with success and success for the believer is to finish the race, to receive the promise of eternal salvation that is given to us through Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to start to wrap things up a little bit this morning by doing this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that also ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father on the throne. We talked about this a few weeks ago. How could Jesus find joy in the cross? He was about to go through a trial. Amen? Would you all agree? Much more than that. He was going through, he was getting ready to go through agonizing pain. He was facing death square in the face. And because he is fully God and fully man, he knew since the day he was born that that was what 
his life was meant for. And yet this verse of scripture tells us that he found joy in the cross. Not because of the pain, not because of the agony, but because he knew on the other side of it was going to accomplish what he had been put here for. It was going to make a way for God and his creation to be united together again because of what he was about to do. He found joy in the trial. He found joy in the pain and the agony because he knew what was on the other side. And Christians, as Jesus is our example, that's exactly how we should look at it as well. Our joy is not the pain that we're going to go through, but it's what God is going to accomplish on the other side. So throw off any weight, any burden holding you back from pursuing Christ with everything that you have. Throw off the sin clinging to your life. Run the race before you. And when you need help, I want you to think about these four specific things that come from our passage in James. Number one, if you need wisdom through a trial, just ask. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Verse 5 has one of the most beautiful and encouraging promises in all of Scripture. That God gives us wisdom generously, abundantly, liberally. He pours it out without discrimination, without question, without hesitation. This is the God of the universe saying, I'm going to impart my wisdom upon you. And all you have to do is ask. We have to ask for it. And God doesn't give us the easy answer. When we are in a trial, we just want our circumstances fixed. But God says, draw near to me. Ask me to help you understand why this is happening to you. Ask me to help you understand why you're going through this situation. Ask me to help you give perspective on what you're going through. And walk alongside you as the one who possesses every piece of knowledge every piece of eternal perspective, and the perfect experience. He's willing to give that to us. He's promised us in His Word that if we don't understand, not just don't understand what we're going through, but don't understand why we're going through it, then ask. God will reveal it. There's a purpose to everything. Number two, in verses 6 through 8, don't let doubt creep into the process. Because you see, doubt and faith cannot exist together. Begins at verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. We have to believe that He loves us. We have to believe that He cares and that nothing is impossible for Him. If we doubt His goodness, if we doubt His power, we have no stability when trouble comes into our lives. One minute we might be resting calmly on His promises, but the next one we feel that God has forgotten to be kind to us. We will be like the surge of the sea, rising to great heights, 
and then falling back down into valleys. Do you know people like that? One day they're way up high. They're awesome. Everything's perfect. Then the next day, they're down in the valley. Maybe you know that person really well because you live inside their body. God is not honored by that kind of faith that alternates between optimism and pessimism. But listen, there's another kind of doubter. There's a person who is not wholly committed to God, but is playing it safe. And they play it safe in their prayers. Their real interest is advancement. But they also want to enjoy some of God's blessings now and go to heaven when they die. If you are not sold out to God, completely surrendered to Him, that person's not going to receive anything from God. Number three, I want you to see this morning, verses 9 through 11. Rely on God's resources. Rely on God's resources. Verse 9 says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Why, in the middle of this section of trials, does James start talking about poverty and riches? Many of James's readers were, were likely poor. They didn't have anything. But some were rich, and they were trusting in their faith. They're trusting in their wealth. James reminds us in these verses that trials have a remarkable leveling effect. If you're poor, you should boast about the fact that your, circ- uh, uh, that, that your circumstances are actually leading you to trust in God. And in the absence of physical resources, you are driven to boast in your rich status as a child of God. On the other hand, if you're rich, be careful. Trials will remind you that money can't solve your problems. And all of the stuff in the world will not fill the hole in your heart. One day all of that stuff is going to be burned up in a fire and you're going to have nothing left. Because you trusted in your resources. And not God's resources. The last thing I want you to see before we close this morning, number four, I want you to live for His reward. It is my desire that you would live for His reward. James closes in verse 12 by saying this, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James says that the man who endures trials is blessed He is blessed. The key to understanding the entire book of James is realizing that James is leaning heavily on Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. James talks about a crown of life. That man who endures will receive. There are two ways to misunderstand that image. First, don't picture some gem-studded headpiece worn by kings or queens. Most original readers of the letter would have heard this word and immediately thought about the reef that would have put on an athlete's head. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The leaves that were were twined together and put around their head. 
The picture here is that of running through the trials of life victoriously to receive this crown. Second, the crown of life should not simply be thought of as a physical crown with great splendor. No, the crown is actually a symbol. A symbol, a symbol of receiving the glorious reward of eternal life. At the end of all of these trials, God meets with us. He meets with us with life. He brings us life. Eternal life. So consider it joy. Because trials remind you that you are living for a reward that is coming. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul writes, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. As I conclude today, I want to show you one thing. How this section of Scripture con continues. We didn't read this earlier, but I want you to understand because many times people will look at their trials and they'll think that God is trying to tempt them. God is trying to tempt them. It says in verses 13 through 15 as I close, No one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Every trial brings temptation with it. When we face financial difficulties, we are tempted to trust God's provision. We are tempted to distrust God's provision. Forgive me. When someone near us dies, we are tempted to question God's love. When we're experiencing unjust suffering, we are tempted to impugn God's justice. But know this, God may test us, but according to verse 13, He does not and He will not tempt us. We are responsible for the temptations. It is our desires that tempt us and draw us away from God. And that leads to sin. May God help us understand this truth in a world where there are efforts at every turn to absolve us from our responsibility from sin. We want to put the fault on others, blame our upbringing, our friends, our family, our government, our condition, or anything else that we can think of. This doesn't mean different factors don't affect us in different ways, but the teaching of Scripture is very clear. The fault for my sin lies with me. There's a problem at the core of who we are. In the words of Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. And that's the problem that we have, church family. Our sin nature and who we are has taken away from God's design. His perfect design for each of us. And when we ignore God 
and His original design for our lives, that's where sin comes in. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. And listen, we all sin and distort God's original design. And the consequence of that is separation. Separation from God and brokenness in our lives. We see brokenness all around me, all around us. At every turn, turn on the news, read the paper, pull up the internet. Brokenness is everywhere. When we realize that life isn't working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in all kinds of different directions. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth for a lie and worshipped and served what had been created instead of the Creator. We worship the things around us. Success, money, accounts. All of those things. Who we are. What we think we can do. But Jesus came to rescue us. He came to rescue us. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when we trust in Him, when we accept what He has done, when we make Him Lord over our life, then when those trials come in our lives, we can look at it as joy because we understand that God is trying to do something in us. He is molding us and shaping us. And a lot of times, can I tell you, church family, that God is just trying to call us closer to Him. God wants for us to be close to Him. That's why He sent His Son. And it's only through Jesus. Jesus tells us, I am the truth to life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Trusting in Jesus is the only way to have joy in the circumstances that we face. So this coming week, I want you to think about the various trials that you're facing or the ones that you have faced. What have you learned? What would you do different? How would you help someone else get through a similar season in life? And listen, if you're in the midst of suffering today, please know that your church family is with you, that we are with you, that God is for you. He has heard every single prayer. Remember to ask for wisdom to exercise your faith, to rely on God's resources, and to live for His reward through the entire process. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You for who You are. Lord, we thank You for how You love us. Father, that You loved us enough that You don't leave us when we walk through these circumstances, that You are there with us, that You are there to hold our hand, to guide us, to carry us through the trials in our life. And Lord, let us look at these situations as opportunities to grow in you, to draw closer to you, to become more like Jesus. And realize that on the other side of the circumstances that we're going through is something greater that you have for us. Something more wonderful. And Lord, sometimes we go through trials just so you can do a work in us 
so that we're ready for the next trial. But Father, help us to understand that the ultimate reward for what we're looking for and what we're after, it's not here. It's not here in this place. But it's in the hereafter with you. When this life is over, we have more to work, look forward to. We have a hope in our heart to know that this isn't all there is. But Father, while we're here, Lord, thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the wonderful things that you put into our life. But Father, help us to be thankful for the trials, for the persecution, because it creates in us a perseverance. Father, help us to see our faith work like a muscle. And Father, when we begin to work, that muscle becomes very tired. It's very hard to do. But as we continue to do it over and over and over again, it grows. And it gets stronger. And help our faith to get stronger. Help our relationship with you to get stronger. And Father, I'm not asking for you to throw trials into all of our people. Father, what I'm asking is that you do encourage them to keep their eyes fixed on you throughout the trial and to understand that there's something to come out of it. There's some growth. There's some wonderful thing that's going to come out of it on the other side for your glory, for your honor, for your way. Father, we thank you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.